Hello and welcome to the Velodrome Podcast. It's already episode five and we thank you for listening. I'm Steve, your host. Some of you may know me as the Velo21 guy, but today I'm your host on this Velodrome Podcast. So once again, we thank you for listening. We've got another great guest lined up for you today. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to the other episodes, we've recorded four great episodes which have gone out. Obviously, you can catch up with those wherever you listen to your podcasts. But today we're speaking to another cyclist all about their cycling journey. And believe me, today it's a good one. We're speaking to... It's Richard Salisbury. Welcome to the Velodrome podcast. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Um, thanks for coming on. So one thing I want to do with all the guests as well is just um, quickly talk about our relationship. Basically, um, I didn't follow your sort of uh, personal page, I suppose, your pedal precision page, sorry. No. Um, but I followed some of your other pages that we'll talk about um, as we go through the podcast for a long, long time. Um, and then you messaged me saying, I've got this story. Would you be interested in getting me on the podcast? And... Um, Yes, I would. So here you are, um, yeah, and we're having a little chat about it. So obviously, it's a, a cycling chat, um, and you've got quite um, an amazing cycling journey, really. So where did it all start for yourself? Uh, so, like many people, I think, obviously, I used to mess around on bikes all the time when I was a kid. Sort of earliest memories are of being outside the front of our house, you know, making a ramp out of a plank of wood and two bricks, and then getting my sister and her little mate to judge our jumping competition and stuff like that so they're sort of my earliest bike memories um to the point where my dad actually made me my first bike like he took some absolute shed of a bike and resprayed it and put some white wall tires on and stuff like that i thought it was really cool yeah um so that was that was my introduction to cycling but then i kind of at university the first time around so sort of normal university age I got really into to mountain biking, cross country riding, little bits of racing here and there. Um, you know, we did all this, all the usual stuff, made videos of ourselves and trying to be NBA UK stars, things like that. Um, and then uh, I used cycling as my main kind of rehab tool after uh, my own cancer diagnosis and, and treatment and everything. So that was uh, sort of the real catalyst for my riding to become something that little bit more kind of not so much structured, but, you know, more more passion involved, riding anything on two wheels, be it road, track, mountain bike still. So, yeah, it all grew from there, really. Yeah, lovely. So you touched on there, obviously, you had um, a cancer diagnosis, which is obviously a very traumatic experience to to go through. Did you find that you, you kind of cycling helped you through with regards to, like, the mental health side of things, with really dealing with the, the trauma of that and everything like that? Oh, definitely, yeah. I think without it, it would have been a lot more difficult to kind of process everything and, you know, just being out there with the wind in your face, even though I couldn't ride anywhere close to the uh, my previous um, fitness levels or anything like that. It was just, you know, turn, being able to turn the pedals um, and then progressively sort of going out with friends and have some very understanding friends who, you know, would wait for me at the top of every climb for ages and you know put their jackets on and eventually i'd get there and then you know slowly but surely the balance gets redressed and we get to the point where we were properly kind of riding together but yeah, yeah. I, used, I, I felt like it was kind of one of the biggest tools and that's why obviously we'll go on to that later but it's also why i kind of got involved with a, with a charity that i now help to run 
Yeah, that was my next question. Actually, it was just kind of teaming me up, really, to say um, CFC, Cyclist Fighting Cancer, is the charity that you're director of, and you started that up, obviously, after... Um, or did you start it up after yeah. cancer diagnosis? Sorry, I've just assumed that. Then. No, so my friend Mike, he founded the charity sort of on his kitchen table, and we met through our own shared cancer experiences. Okay. Um, and so he was doing it for a while before before we got sort of got together. And then initially I came on board just to help where I could doing the odd delivery up in the northwest um, and then giving some advice in terms of uh, anything specifically that was needed. So we give bikes to children having cancer treatment or recovery from it. That's, that's the mission. Um, and that, that's, that always varies anything from, you know, a child who's had, um, you know, something that's not affected their body hugely, but it's helping them recover and they might just need a normal balance bike or a, a BMX or a mountain bike and we'll get them riding and they use that in the same sort of similar way to I did what I did you know to recover cardiovascularly and fitness and strength and everything right the way through to amputations and children who've you know lost limbs completely lost their balance don't have much control so that we can get tricycles adaptive bikes uh, we can basically do anything really if just to get them out there and that's all part of it you know the, the well-being piece the mental health elements just the feeling like you're still alive and you're not sort of this you know specimen in the hospital it's all part yeah. of the process so yeah so yeah i joined mike and we've been doing it now for 16 17 years and mm. we've we've gone from kind of raising as much fundraising as we can via the normal kind of avenues be it events we did ourselves or people doing sportives for us running marathons for us we've hosted our own sportive events over the years and things taking groups of people out to do things like the baton running in sweden um and, you know the raid pyrenean raid pyrenean alpine challenges all those kind of good things and now we we've sort of changed the model a bit so we've now got three hopefully soon to be more charity bike shops around the country yeah. which they all now sort of provide us with a big part of our revenue so they're a, a bike shop like in the other bike shop but the big part of the stock is you know donated bikes and parts and kit um, lovely yeah because how could people um get involved with supporting cfc if they wanted to uh well any which way really so yeah just either kind of doing an event for us we get a lot of people that do their own things and just you know we, ha- we happen to be their chosen charity be it a, yes. a, a jog or a, a big sportive or their first hundred miler or what have you um and then obviously the, the other thing is quite simple to just shop in the shops if you happen to be. So we've got one in Chawton here in Manchester uh, and then two in the Midlands. So Cheltenham and Stratford-upon-Avon. And we're hopefully, yeah. we're looking for somewhere in Leeds. And that's that's another call to arms. If anyone knows of any really nice retail units with, you know, some warehousey type accommodation at the back, then give me a shout. Okay. We're kind of looking all over the country, really. But it will be, our mission is to end up with uh, a charity bike shop anywhere where we've got children's hospitals that we're trying to get bikes to children. So it kind of creates a, a community in a full circle. You know, we've got a shop there so that the children can come and collect their bike and they've got somewhere to, you know, attach their the donation that they've been given from it. And then people in the surrounding area will also then hopefully fundraise for us and all those other good things. So yeah, yeah it's all, all kind of connected together. And that's the plan. Lovely. And how are you at the moment then with the, obviously 
going through the country, you, you've got the all clear now and you're all... Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. Yeah, a few, yeah. few leftovers, which we still deal with, but that's, I think that's kind of par for the course. Yeah, because as you mentioned, it was 16, 17 years ago. Well, it's more than that now, yeah. So it's 20, 22 years for me now. Okay. Um, 2001, when I was 21. And you can work that out how old I am yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we won't say. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Good. Yeah, all good. Good stuff. Can't complain. Um, what events does CFC have lined up for 2023? Is there anything big in the diary that, you know, other people can get involved in that you want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, so uh, we've got two big things which people have been really generous to us in sort of giving us cheap half-price places and places where we can do our own fundraising and stuff. So the, the biggest one, obviously, is the Tour of Cambridgeshire, which mm. I think for many years has been like a pseudo-qualifier for the amateur world, you know, this sort of fast, flat, 100-mile okay almost yeah. like a bunch race without being supposedly right. a race, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you, um, so we've got a number, I'm not sure how many of them there are left now, I'd have to talk to Rachel, but um, we've got quite a few places on that, which they've given to us at a reduced cost, um, mm-hmm. which we're passing on that saving to anyone that wants to ride for us. Um, and we even don't really ask for like a minimum sponsorship. It's just that we hope that once people get to know our charity, they'll kind of be, a, there's a vested interest into doing as best as they can, you know, and raising yeah. whatever they possibly can. Um, so we've got a load of spaces on that. We've got a load of places on a coast-to-coast ride um, in June, I think that is. These are all that's June, usually, June. Yeah, that's the coast-to-coast tends to be um, around the, the summer solstice kind of time yeah. to give the, the, the most daylight. Um, that's right. I think this yeah. one is a bit before that because we're also, well, I'm personally going to ride so I did a little thing a couple of years ago that rode from my house here to my parents' house in Essex, where obviously I was for my treatment. So okay. I, it was like a 20th anniversary thing at the time. And it just me and my brother-in-law and a friend rode the whole way. And then other people kind of jumped in and did stints. So we did sort of, it was a 350k or 221 miles as it was. Yeah. That was the point. It was 20 years on. It was I was 21 at the time. It was 2021. So it was all the two two ones, yeah. Um, but it, the, the route was actually really really good. So this year I've kind of created more of a structure around it, and I think so far we've got ten or twelve of us doing it. Um, right. Kind of what we, yeah, we're going to keep it to that kind of a squad feel, so that we've got yeah. support vehicles and then enough provision for that sort of dozen people, and we're not kind of creating this huge group on the road or anything. But um, that always gets a bit un- unwieldy, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. but that should be really good but yeah. that's on, so that's on the summer solstice so I think the uh, the coast to coast that we were involved with a couple of weeks before oh, okay good stuff yeah some great events there then that people could uh, sign up for so where's the best place for them to find the, the details for that if you want to give a shout out to the yeah. website or so our website is cyclists FC so almost like cyclists football club if you want to say that but cyclists plural FC dot org dot UK um or follow us on Cyclist Fighting Cancer on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. And then the links to the Facebook page, uh, the website is all on there. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty good with socials. We've got the, chari- the charity bike shops have all got their own page as well. So you can kind of keep up to date on, you know, nice stock that's coming in. It's, it's a strange one because we always have different things. You know, one week we might get a really cool retro, you know, John Tomac mountain biking, it's almost, you know, 
brand new and then the following week it might be a really nice road bike that's you know mm -hmm. a lady's small carbon road bike with really nice group set on it or whatever that people might be looking out for so it's it's quite nice in that way we're not just got the the same stock week in week out yeah yeah it's always different obviously with the donation it's any kind of brand it's any anything isn't yeah, exactly. it really? it's, it's yeah. um, mm -hmm. anything goes not like a traditional bike shop maybe that sticks to one no, exactly. brand, you know, yeah, you see, you're seeing everything there. So there's a good mix. There's a good mix. Yeah. And we've got stuff as well. A lot of the bikes that we sell, obviously, are kind of the lower end in the value proposition, you know, the, the 100 to 150 pound mark for people to commute back to forwards to work. But then mm -hmm. we go right the way through, you know, people have gifted us their Linksky titanium road bikes and all sorts of stuff that then people have, have been able to pick up for a song. And everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone gets so every single pound that we we produce from the shops goes directly to providing more bikes to children fighting cancer. So there's not yeah. sort of there's no middlemen or anything like that. We we use every bit of revenue we can to to buy more bikes and give them away. So that's great. And I mean, on the message that you sent me originally, you touched on the the amount of turnover that you you actually do through CFC, which was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, so I think this year we'll, we'll tick over our 10,000th bike that we've given away to children, and it's sort of growing year on year. So, I mean, last year, without trying to sort of flood the flood things with numbers, but each shop, you know, turns over over 150,000 in a year, and, yeah. and then we've got the fundraising and the trust funds and all those kind of things that we apply to on top of that. So, yeah, it's going really well. And yeah. the, the more we make, the more we spend giving away. I mean, to give you a context, it's... It, the obviously a BMX or a mountain bike we can pick up and we've got contracts with Trek and Doors and Squish bikes for the little ones and things like that um, and they're relatively you know three to five hundred pounds for a, a good mountain bike that's lightweight and that's a lot of the thing you know it needs to be a good bike for a child who may be a bit weak and doesn't have the, the fitness already to lift something heavy from a supermarket type thing yeah. up but equally at the other end of the spectrum, you know, a, a tricycle which has leg braces on and a body harness and the ability for mum and dad to steer it from behind and, you know, a fixed wheel that can be removed with a pull of a pin so that it can start, they can start to do it themselves, this sort of thing. They're kind of upwards of 3,000 each, so yes. it's, it's everywhere in between. So, you know, anyone who's kind of spending money at the shops or raising money can be assured that we, we, we generate quite a bit. We spend everything we can giving the cycling the gift of cycling basically to as many children as we can yeah which is absolutely fantastic i mean you should be so proud of that that's just immense that is yeah. it's just fantastic i love it yes yeah, it's, it's an amazing thing as well like obviously not everyone can have that experience but just when you kind of hand hand the bike over or you get a message from mum and dad or from whoever is looking after the child you know to say that they never thought they'd be able to ride a bike again or yeah. didn't think this was possible or they, you know, suddenly they're out with their friends and they've got sort of this little glimpse of normal life and stuff like that. So yeah. it's a massive tool. I wouldn't be able to handle it. I'd be crying all the time, I think. Oh, yeah, we will. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reinforces the fact that, it's, you know, it, it, it validates what we do when it does make you emotional. Definitely. You know, it's, it's really it's something valuable that they, they feel really, you know, the gift isn't just... Is is a, a bike. bike? Yeah, it's kind of here's some freedom and here's a, a bit of something nice to happen in, in and amongst all the the horrors that might otherwise be going on. You know. Yeah, definitely, fantastic, fantastic. So um, you're a busy man as well. That you you also run um, a Manchester-based uh, 
bike fit and rehab service as well. Um, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I've been doing that sort of nearly as long as the charity stuff. Um, based out of the National Cycling Centre in, in Manchester up here. Um, so yeah, I went back to university. So the catalyst obviously being my own kind of recovery. Mm-hmm. And because I couldn't race or compete or at the time, it didn't feel like I could compete at the level that I wanted to. Um, I started to get really interested in sort of efficiencies and started to take part with some friends in 24-hour races and the stuff that you could do with more of a kind of diesel engine rather than that top end first into the first corner cross-country fitness, if you see what I mean, where it makes more difference if you've got good nutrition drills and efficient, you know how efficient you can be over you know over a 12 or 24 hour period um so i started to do more of that and then when i moved up here to be with my wife um, and my first degree was in in business in german and so i didn't really <laughs> see myself using that anymore uh, and went back to uni to study sports rehab um up here in salford and while i was doing that I was working in bike shops and riding on the track and getting more into my road riding and stuff and that was really just kind of everything dovetailed together so i started to give people advice with the shops i was working in you know people would suddenly wander in on a saturday morning and say oh so and so so and so at this other shop told me to come and see you because i reckon everyone tells me i'm between sizes or i've got this really dodgy back and i don't know what bike to ride or how to ride it and this that and the other and it sort of built from there really to the point i started burrowing a, a little room in the velodrome on a sort of hour by hour basis carting my massage table down there and a, and a camera and a turbo trainer and stuff and then got my own space in there when they built a new park for the bmx track mm. and that's you know over a decade ago now yeah, yeah. seen and hopefully helps thousands of, of cyclists just be that little bit more comfortable a bit more yeah. efficient pain free it's the one thing i'd i'd really recommend to anyone that's listening to this that's that's not had a bike fit get a get a bike fit um because it'll really surprise you at how i don't know maybe even how little they, they maneuver stuff but it just gets you so much more as you say comfortable more efficient on the bike and it is so because when i first started it was just a case of like i i set the saddle and off i went kind of thing it was i didn't really put much thought process into it and even down to like i used to um ride with a, a group of uh, neighbors and they just said to me, look how high your saddle is, look how... So I moved it down, but I shouldn't have done it. It needed to be sort right. of a, a bit higher. And I went for a bike fit and he actually moved my saddle up three centimetres. Right. Um, and I was just, I just flew after that. I, the, the difference it made was just absolutely phenomenal. So, yeah, if there's anyone listening to this, I'd recommend getting a bike fit. It's, uh, it'll, it'll change everything for you. If you've never had one done, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's a sliding scale, obviously. You get, you know, if you, if you if you dwell on a few forums, there's people who go, oh, what do you need that for? You know, you can do it yourself, this, that, and the other. And I always, you know, I wouldn't plaster my own walls because I haven't got the skills for it. And it's quite, you know, it's quite difficult. I'm the, I personally find it hard to, to, to do my own bike fit because I can't kind of stand back from it and look at the look at how I'm riding. You know, I'll, I use slow motion cameras, things like that, rather necessarily than kind of reflective dots or a harness or anything. I'm I kind of, I've, I've got one, but I don't I don't use it because I feel like it kind of makes people ride essentially how they, they wouldn't normally be out on the road. So even though, obviously in a turbo, you don't necessarily ride as you would exactly, but you, could, you can be more free. 
and then by slowing the, the footage down and being able to, to sort of see how that human body is working um, we can sort of work with what they've got and that's always a big kind of principle for me is that rather than kind of bowing to the rule you know everybody's knees got to be within this degree of yeah. flexion or everybody's hips got to be at a certain angle everybody's arm torso angle and you know, back position everything seems to sort of get stuck to a formula sometimes when in reality it might be that one person like you said yourself you know actually you work much more efficiently with presumably more hip extension more knee extension and there'll be reasons why you recruit muscles differently because of that when you know how you how you access the bottom of the pedal stroke and everything compared to someone else who's much stronger in a more closed ratio kind of you know more bent knee position but you don't know that until you can kind of you know analyze and be a bit more subjective about it almost rather than mm -hmm. saying right you're in the, you're, your knees at the right angle off you go you know yeah hand in hand with a, a custom bike build company that you've got called uh, Farworks so do you want to tell us a little bit more about that as well yeah so that's something that was more of a lockdown project really I'd been approached a few times by either customers of my bike fitting business to say I'd really like your help building something bespoke um, be it just from a purely kind of desire point of view or to try and alleviate some kind of problem and I'd also been approached by a couple of bike brands, bike manufacturers to say actually we get quite a lot of people who need or want custom geometry and we don't have anyone in your area to kind of forward them on to to be able to provide us with information about that rider to get the best fit geometry you know so that the sort of the, the first one if you like was parley in the states so they they approached me and said yeah we do this completely custom tubing custom geometry frame you know you're talking six seven thousand pounds a frame set but you can fine tune to the millimeter every tube whether it be the type of carbon that's in the, the top tube versus the seat stays or the chain stays, right the way to every you know every measurement possible really, um, and then there's variations within that. But that that was the driving force really. And then when lockdown kicked in, I know it's a cliche, everyone talks about everything these days in terms of either before or after lockdown. <laughs> it? But um, yeah, obviously the, the velodrome closed completely. Um, I was kind of at home doing homeschooling for my daughter and then trying to sort of do other things in between times and it gave me the opportunity to set up another little limited company um, to deal with importing things from the states or from europe and, and setting up accounts with the distributors and, and people like that dealing with vat and all those kind of good things that, that just bring more headaches than anything but anyway mm -hmm. um, it was originally called something else uh, it, was, it was originally dreamworks bikes and uh, I'll leave that to people's imaginations. I had a bit of a uh, interesting conversation. Or, or yeah, follow. I feel like I know where you're going with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, in the end, it worked out really well. I'm, I'm sort of not not uh, party to be able to tell you what what happened, but we we worked it out. So based on what I'm doing, what the charity does, and everything else, we came to a an amicable solution. And then I needed to find a new name. Um, yeah. So that's where. I used to, because I said my old degree was in business in German, I used to live in Germany and one of the half of the word for bike in German is, well, bike in German is Fahrrad, so it's half of that. There's also a lot of sort of posh engineering companies and, you know, automotive tuning companies in Germany that are kind of something Fahrwerk, so F-A-H-R-W-E-R-K. So they're all kind of, you know, you go and take your 
your Audi to this place and get it tuned up or what have you. And it's, you know, custom stuff. So I took that, turned it, put works on the end instead of the German Werk yeah. and realized that that didn't exist as a word. So in order to get make sure that I was never going to come unstuck again or have anyone try and tell me that that was their their name first or anything like that, so that, that gave me that that you unique word. If you like. So yeah. yeah, that's what it is now. But yeah, no, it's it's all good. It's just a really a vehicle to be able to help people from the ground up. So you know, I'm not again like the charity shops. I'm not beholden necessarily to a particular brand. I've got some that I really like and I'm sort of passionate about and I work closely with. But equally, you know, if someone comes to me and says, I've always dreamt about riding uh, an Orbea or a Pinarello or Colnago C68 or whatever, then I can we can source the frame and then it's just, a, a, you know, to be able to access, okay, well, this is going to be the, the perfect crank length, the perfect stem bars, you know, design. Uh, everything can be kind of built from the ground up rather than having to take something that's off the shelf and then say, right, well, I want to change the handlebars, I want to cha- change the saddle. You know, I need a layback seat post, all of those other things that you, you end up doing potentially and selling stuff on. This is more of a kind of bespoke, tailored option. That's the idea. Yeah, lovely. That sounds fantastic, really. It's it, it's like, you know, you, you, you can get a bit of adjustment as we talked about, obviously seat height and things like that. But then, that, yeah. like you say, that dialing in, that fine tuning of every aspect of the bike to the finest millimetre is that's the ultimate custom isn't it then it's just yeah exactly i mean it's it, it spread from the desire like obviously i just want to help the people that come see me for a bike fit ride a little bit better and i don't i genuinely don't care whether that person's you know got their trainers on and comes for the first time or they've been riding for 25 years an elite level racer or whatever if i can help them feel a little bit more comfortable or get rid of that niggle or whatever it is then great and likewise albeit there is a kind of a higher ticket price implication because you can't really get away with it. You know, yeah. the, the, the numbers just don't stack up. If you're trying to build something for 1500 quid, you might as well then go and, and buy the equivalent Trek or specialized entry level bike. And, and, you know, you'll get more value for money that way. So, you know, there is a point below which it's not worth doing, but ultimately it's just, you know, if someone could be quite comfortable and perform quite well on an off the shelf, say Trek Madone that they're going to spend six or seven grand on anyway, then, you know, maybe for either the same price, if not a little bit less, or maybe a little bit more, we can get something that's, you know, a hundred percent bespoke to their anatomy and their, their riding style and what they want to do with it and where they want to take it. So, yeah. It's just being that little bit more exacting about it, I suppose. So again, how do you want to give a shout out with websites and um, Instagram accounts and whatnot? of <laughs> Yeah, I feel like this whole thing, I've turned it into a bit of an advertising platform. That's fine, that's fine. That. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's far work, F-A-H-R-W-Works, W-O-R-K-S dot C-C is the website. And then obviously I tag myself, tag the little brand in, in every Instagram post that I do. So Farworks Bikes is the Instagram and I'm Pedal Precision Rich on Instagram for anything kind of cycling or bike related. Generally yeah. speaking, that's a bit more kind of cycling bradesque. I mean, as much as I just like taking photos when I'm out riding my bike, so yeah, it tends to be heavier on that. And then I try yeah. and get some some bike fit bits and, and tips in there when I can, when I remember yeah. mainly. Because <laughs> as, as I touched on at the start, um, that I followed you, uh, the CFC 
account yeah. for a lot, for years. I followed followed oh, that account, um, and then you mess. I put out about the doing the velodrome podcast and who would like to be a guest and then you contacted me from your pedal precision one which i didn't follow um right. and then obviously doing a little bit of digging to yeah, yeah. do a bit of research and i was like oh like i realized where he's come from where and where this is yeah. yeah and i was like oh yeah brilliant yeah. um obviously it's not just me posting on cfc stuff it's we've got people at the office and mike's posting as well and uh, some of our other trustees might post something every now and again so it's yeah everybody kind of pitches in and helps spread the word on that front and then yeah. the stuff is just me yeah but then as as we just touched on you, you felt like you're making it a bit of an advert for yourself but then obviously anyone that's listening to the podcast and that's listened to your bike brand and everything like that they might be interested in having yeah. a look getting in contact with you so i'd love you you know yeah yeah i'd prefer them to contact you directly rather than contact me so yeah <laughs> i'm fine i'm fine by that so yeah um moving on slightly um, you were going to ride a Team Ram, um, but you couldn't go due to illness, unfortunately. Well, um, no, we did go. Oh, sorry, yeah. So, yeah, it, ha- it happened. Um, we spent 18 months sort of preparing for it, and, uh, yeah, Mike and myself, and then one of our other trustees, directors, Kevin, and a lady called Carol, who's been a long-term sort of supporter of CFC. Um, all four of us were cancer survivors, so that was the, the premise uh, and we had it ratified by Guinness World Records. We were going to be kind of the first cancer-surviving team um, to finish the race across America. Um, so we had all that teed up, and we had, you know, a crew of 15 people um, helping us hopefully get to the end. So, yeah, we 2018 that was, and we set off for Los Angeles, California, and then... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it was my 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 previous history that really came back to bite us in the literally in the in the backside. So uh, that was all going really well. Um, we'd split into two pairs. So I don't know if you know much about Ram. It's basically a three thousand mile time trial, team time trial that you ride sort of in relay. Um, but ideally, you ride sort of twenty four hours a day for seven seven or eight days nonstop with this, you know barely any downtime if you can possibly avoid it um so we we'd set off from california gone over the coastal range of mountains um dropped down into the desert death valley across sort of nevada um where it was you know 50 degrees in the in the heat in the daytime and then cold at night and all, all, all the usual horrors and hardships and what have you and it just uh i I personally believe that there was a lot of stress kind of getting out there in in the first place. I and mean, that's a, a story for another podcast and I've written blogs about it and stuff. So you feel free to have a look and, and read okay. those blogs. But yeah, there was a lot of stress getting us to the start line um, through no fault of the riders or anything, just or, the, or most of the crew. But just, yeah, we ended up sort of in California, raring to go and the fitter than we'd ever been. But just there was a lot of things that were kind of last minute and we were stressing about stuff. So then getting riding was kind of almost the release, you know, we were actually going. But I just, I feel like possibly that opened me up and we had some sort of medical backup and we had the medication with us and stuff, but I kind of ignored some of the signs um, and didn't realise I'd picked up a kidney infection, which over the course of three days turned into uh, sepsis and, Mm -hmm. yeah, 
kidney failure potentially and it, yeah sort of started to not make any sense and the night of day three my support crew took me into a to a, an emergency place in Colorado thinking that I was going to get some fluids you know I was dehydrated and this that and the other um, and it uh, yeah do not pass go do not collect 200 pounds sort of came came back round so to speak with uh, you know thinking that they were talking about infection and so I naively thought oh that's great you can give me some antibiotics and I can sort of crack on not realising I'd been there for you know over a day already and uh, and the doctor sort of saying you know we realise we still lose people 20% of people who get as far as you have now we still we still wow. lose 20% of them so I suggest you stay right where you are so at that point I was like okay it's uh, yeah and then I found out that the, uh, my teammates they carried on riding and they'd also been kind of sat at the side of the road having genuine discussions about you know would I want them to ride on if I passed on or would, would would I want them to come back and meet my wife and daughter who were like at that moment on a plane wow. not knowing what they were going to arrive to find and things like that so yeah pretty pretty dramatic in the end yeah definitely and you, you said you felt like you perhaps ignored the warning signs do you think that was down to the fact that like you know you've got that big massive event all that preparation's gone and were you a bit like I can't be ill I'm focusing on this I think it's more just you accept the fact it's going to be brutal so you know you're dehydrated you're trying to drink as much as you can you're trying to fuel as much as you can sleep deprived you know even though you're trying to split the shift so we had myself and Mike were kind of one team and Kevin and Carol were the second team or you know the other half um and then we were trying to do shifts, but the problem is obviously that you do sort of an eight-hour riding shift, and it kind of sounds simple in, in as a concept, and that you should be able to get quite a lot of rest in between while the other while the other half's doing their eight hours. But in reality, you know, you've got to drive, hopefully, you know, nearly two hundred miles up the road to somewhere that you think that the, these the other half are going to make it to in their mm-hmm. shift. Find somewhere to put your head down, get some food on board sort everything out the crews you know maybe get a, a takeaway to eat or do whatever you need to do and before you know it you've got you know like an hour and a half to sleep and then you've got to get up again because they might have not you know it might be 50 miles they've not yeah. quite further, yeah. further on or further back or whatever yeah, yeah. so it was yeah all of that and you know one minute it's like i say 50 degrees in the desert the next minute you're at, you know zero degrees at 2,000 metres of altitude and you've got all the altitude stuff to contend with because there's a huge plateau that runs through Colorado so you kind of go up early and then you've got this you're at 2,000 metres plus for a long time before you go the last 500 metres over the top of a pass and down into the plains of the middle of America so it was just a case of you know okay I'm feeling really horrible at the moment but give me another Mm -hmm. 24 hours get a bit of rest get some more fluids on board you know I'll, I'll rally and sort of knowing what i would have been like on 24-hour races things like that you kind of you build a tolerance for it and you think okay this is just a bad patch unfortunately my bad patch turned into a bit of a you know, nightmare patch yeah, yeah unfortunately you touched on then a little bit about the um the sleep thing i remember i did um quite a big right almost like it was like a 24-hour event but it, it was a distance and if you completed it before the 24 hours you were done kind of thing um but i was riding 
say ride time, I've done it three times, and my longest ride time was 19 hours, and the first time I did it, I thought, oh, I can't, when I, I can't wait to get in bed, I can't wait to get to sleep, and I couldn't, I was light, and my leg, I could feel my legs going, yeah, yeah. As, as I was lying in the bed, and it was like, I can't switch it, I think caffeine gels and all sorts that I'd had throughout the day to obviously keep me yeah, going yeah. were then in my system and I just couldn't switch off so like you say trying to get that you think oh yeah eight hour shift eight hours off you know to spread it out but it's it's really difficult to switch no, exactly. off isn't it um, yeah. and especially knowing that you've got to go again plus a 200 mile ride it's just yeah no, exactly. you're trying to rest in the car as well obviously we we got. We ended up getting sponsored by a rental car company, which was amazing. They gave us. We turned up at Los Angeles Airport in this sort of row of Cadillac Escalades, where they're sort of waiting for us, which was amazing. That was one of our kind of last-minute results with the help of the film crew that we had. Um, yeah, you, even then, like they're the most incredible vehicles, like huge things with big sort of armchair-style front seats and stuff. But even then, you're, you're trying to kind of sleep, struggling whilst yeah, driving yeah. along and trying to, you know. You've got someone in the back telling you need to eat more food or do whatever. So yeah, it's just it's one of those. And if you imagine a twenty-four hour race, you kind of you can see the end of that one almost. Mm. Whereas for Ram, it's kind of like okay, we've got a twenty-four hour race, but then we've got to bolt on six more of those back to back to back to back. You know, so it's just yeah. So what happened with the other three riders then? So they carried on. Okay. And um, long story short. They got stuck in an electrical storm somewhere, sort of Kansas kind of way, which meant that at least half the team had to kind of dive under. There was like an underground bunker under a church. They went down in the basement of this church and got a bit of shut eye for an hour or whatever it was, and then kind of came back out once the storm had passed. There was a load of ambiguity as to whether that had fried the transponders, the timing chips and things like that, this, this storm. And they were trying to get new chips out to people. And then to add insult to injury, there was kind of, apparently there's film footage of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm yet to fully see everything. But there's a, they were kind of, I'm in an iron as to whether they were going to make the cutoff for the Mississippi River, which is one of the big kind of cutoff points. They did make that, they made it fine. And then there's another kind of timing cutoff further down the line. I can't quite remember exactly where that was now. But there was this conversation between the race organisers and the the, the, the the crew chief, and apparently the, the crew chief was told, you know, okay, you know, you, you're making up time, you're actually doing really well, you've got plenty of time to spare, and yeah, we won't go into that today. But for one reason or another, he kind of put the phone down and, and turned to the rest of the riders and, and some of the crew and said, oh, they've told us we're probably not going to make that cut off. We should probably just sack it off here and, oh, okay. and call a DNF and so they went to a hotel and sort of everybody you know made peace with the fact that they'd had to finish had spent a night in a hotel in Indianapolis and then woke up to realize that actually they could have could have made it in the in the long run and it needed some you needed a, a real if they'd been able to find sort of the real a good leader or in the crew crew chief or someone who was could just kind of harness the energy and get them to push through it could have we could have made it but like obviously i wasn't there I, you know there must have been an absolute bits by that point because there was only three of them riding yeah, so, yeah. You know, there's no blame involved it's just it's a shame that it didn't work out yeah oh but, yeah. yeah 
bit of a tragic one. Um, and there's a big, yeah, there's like eight hours of film footage out there in, on a hard drive somewhere that we've even now still not quite got around to, uh, to getting finished up as a film. But it is a, it would be a good story to tell, I think. Yeah. If we can get it finished. Definitely, definitely. Um, so have you got anything else big lined up for this year? Personally, on the bike. So my, my ride from, from here back to Essex is happening again. Like I said before, yeah, we've got a, a dozen of us or so doing that, which would be really nice. Mm. Um, and then obviously the CFC support. Most of the riding that I do these days is kind of geared around whatever we're doing for the charities, you know. So we'll, there'll be things happening during a year that you think to yourself, okay, well, I'll get involved with that event. Or last year, Mike was trying to ride the Tour de France route from the year that he was born. So I went out with him and did a few days of, of that, helping sort of driving a van and then doing some riding when I could and took a friend with us and we sort of shared driving and, and riding, sort of getting him to sit on our wheels and, and dragging him around, so to speak. Um, but yeah, generally challenges and things like that. It keeps, you, keeps me honest, I like to think, you know, if I've lined up something that's, you know, whether it's one 300k ride or whether it's a week long, something or another, then it means that there's something there that, that suggests, okay, I need to stay fit or I need to get get back on it after Christmas or whatever, you know. Yeah, keeps you motivated for yeah, it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That's it's it. always good to have something like that, isn't it? Yeah. So, just some of the questions that we ask all the guests that we're going to go through now is, so, are you a calf stop cyclist? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, what, what are you having? Uh, so... I mean, cafe stops are, are, again, another kind of broad spectrum, aren't they? If you're with a group of people, it might involve, you know, proper food, whether that be a, a sandwich or some beans on toast or whatever. You know, if everyone's stopping for a good chunk of time and you've got all day, then, yeah, a, a hot sandwich or a beans on toast. But if I'm stopping, to be fair, I, even if I'm, by, if I'm by myself and it's, you know, three hours or less ride, I won't stop. If I'm out for longer than that. I usually plan it around somewhere where I, you know, I know the people who run the coffee shop or it's the, there's a destination involved, be it a friend's house or a coffee shop that, you know, like I say, like I know someone there or, you know, you can say hi, grab a coffee or a pastry or whatever. But usually, if, if that's the case, then just a, a good coffee and a pan of chocolate or something like that. Yeah, so your guess number five, and that was the most definite answer that we've had right. from everyone. It was just boom to the point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, are. No, I do, there are plenty. I do plenty of rides that I don't stop, but yeah. if I've got time, yeah, I, I like I like a stop and just I don't. I I agree. I think it, one of the guys who I listened to one of the other episodes said he finds it hard to get going again. I've kind of sort of the opposite problem it takes me ages to get going in the first place you know when I start okay. riding it takes me a good hour and a half to get warmed up but then generally speaking I'm pretty good after a quick coffee stop if we yeah. all sit there for hours you know then okay yeah, I'll have some pretty heavy legs afterwards but if it's just a coffee and a cake then uh, I'm alright good stuff um, so what's your sort of annual mileage then what are you doing here a year good question I try and aim for like a 200k a week average. That okay. tends to be kind of doable without kind of sacrificing family time and all that sort of stuff. So I try and get out once or twice in the week and then for a bigger one on the weekend, which tends to top up somewhere around that 200 mark. And then you get those class, those 
those nice, uh, you know, bonus weeks where you manage three, four, five hundred if you've got, you know, a week off or you go away somewhere and you get three, three or four huge rides in or what have you. Um, but yeah, that balances out. I, in my head, that's because, you know, it, it rounds out to roughly a nice 10,000 kilometers a year yeah. target, which I either do or don't make. I'm not particularly, a couple of years I've really kind of tried to make sure I hit it, but I'm, I'm too old for that now. I just take it. Whatever I end up with, I end up with. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Like you said, there's that work-life balance, isn't there, as well? You know, you, there's a lot yeah. going on. It's not all about that all the time. But, yeah, no. it's obviously nice to try and have a bit of a, like you say, get those targets in to yeah, keep exactly. you doing it, keep the fitness there for the reason that you do it as well. Yeah. Um, so back to the questions that we ask all guests. That was one I just slipped in then. Um, dream bike, money, no object. So yeah, because of the custom build thing, I've kind of, yeah. uh, I've kind of gazumped myself on that slightly already. In as much as I always wanted a parley when I was when I was younger, discussions with various friends, um, and it was kind of you know if you, the Aston Martin of the, the bike world at the time anyway. Um, it was one of the first, I think, the more sort of niche brands. You know, you've got loads of them now that you can sort of see in Ruler magazine, your Passiones, and your Opens and all these sort of more low numbers niche brands, but Parley was always one of the ones that I kind of lusted after. And then due to having a couple of people who were already kind of teed up for, for wanting custom frames, I managed to kind of work my own staff purchase into that equation. And it's kind of a rolling, you know, advertising hauling. So I've got a, a Parley RZ7 with Durace DI2 on, which kind of is, ticks all the dream. Beautiful colour. Yeah, it's that's it's their kind of candy apple red, but then I added my own kind of grey graphics, and I believe there's a little bit of the grey within the pigment. Of it. They they get all their paints custom made from a like a hot rod company in the states in, oh, okay. in, in Boston, and so they're all. I, I know there's probably the similar people over here, but it's you know the, each each batch of paint is kind of hand mixed with all the all the pigments and things. So I kind of said, can I make it slightly different to the the original, the normal version? And it was a bit of a gamble, really. So I was kind of waiting to open the box and see what, what it was going to what look like. like. Yeah. <laughs> Have I done the wrong thing? You know, maybe there's a reason why everyone goes for that exact tone. You know, was it going to look a bit pinky or orangey or something? But yeah. it turned out, no, it was more than I hope, could have hoped for, to be honest. So Yeah, it is, yeah. It is a beautiful colour. Um so if you could plop you anywhere in the world, where's like the dream place to ride or go cycling? Really? Um, I feel like I'm going to be really obnoxious with this one and say like, it's, for me, it's more about the experience. Like okay. whether that be one particular ride because you're with, you know, a group of like-minded individuals. There might be five of you, there might be 50 of you, there might be 10,000 of you doing the, the Vattenrunden around Sweden or, you know, the uh, de Tour, you know, the experience that you have on that particular day. Um, as far as roads go, I keep, I always think back to, we rode Paris-Nice a number of years ago um, with a bunch of friends and there's the classic kind of roads down from sort of the inlands down towards the coast at um, Cannes and Nice. 
and I just got this memory of descending. I'm not much of a climber, so the, the, the best memories are kind of the flat sort of descents for me, that's for sure. But yeah, just me and two or three friends descending down a road that's, you know, that kind of James Bond style. You can see the ocean in the distance, but it's all sweeping curves, all nicely cambered, smooth tarmac. Whereas that's the kind of utopian dream. But having said that, like I say, I'd probably, if you, if you put a gun to my head, I'd probably trade that for, you know, five hours in the Peak District with four of my best friends, you know. So. Yeah. That, do you know what? That's, I agree with that. It's, sometimes it's not about sort of the place where you are. Is it? It's about, the like you say, the experience and that ride with, with everyone and having that laugh, that the yeah. camaraderie that you have between the other riders and everything like that that makes it enjoyable um, and sharing the experience with everyone as well, which is good. So I think that's exactly. a brilliant answer, to be fair. So, yeah, I think, Rich, we've come to the end of our little chat it's been a, a lot of fun so I, I thank you for coming on it's uh it's been pleasure good. thanks for having me cheers buddy take care all the best well that was absolutely fantastic talking to rich there about all the experiences that he's had obviously working with the charity and doing everything that he's done from his own trauma is absolutely it's, it's a credit really isn't it it's absolutely fantastic what he's achieved and everything he's done off the back of obviously this trauma and helping out with other people in the same sort of situations and then helping all children get on bikes it's just absolutely fantastic so if you've been inspired to get involved obviously as we talked about it's um cyclists fighting cancer if you search for them on instagram obviously give them a follow and all the links are on there as well obviously give rich a follow at pedal precision as well if you're in the area and need a bike fit um you know to go and speak to obviously incredibly knowledgeable knows his stuff once again we thank richard for his time we thank you for listening i've been steve the velo 21 guy thanks for listening to this episode of the velodrome podcast Bye.